Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, coming to you with another Battleground PA podcast. Once again, we'll be focused on the most important issue for the whole world, in addition to Pennsylvania, the coronavirus. And we have with us our trusted analysts, Jeffrey Lord and Rajette Harris. So stay tuned. We'll see you in just a bit. This is Battleground PA, a pen live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, this is Joyce Davis, Pen Live's opinion editor, coming back to you to get started with another Battleground PA podcast. If you would like to join the conversation, you can do so. You can get to us at Twitter and Facebook at Battleground PA or send us an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. So with that housekeeping in order, and we do hope you will join and subscribe to this podcast. But with that, let's get started. Welcome, Rajette, and welcome, Jeffrey. Hello, everyone. Hello. Well, listen, we are delighted to have you here again. But the first thing I want to do, not only out of courtesy, but out of genuine concern, how are you and how are your families? We're doing good. Doing good. Excellent. Because I know, Rajat, your mother has some medical issues, and I'm just making sure that you and her are, are, are taking care and being, being safe and healthy. Yes, we are. Thank you. I am fine here in my uh, isolation. I am... Uh... Perfectly fine. There's something to be said for living alone at this point. <laughs> now, are you staying? Are you staying out of? Are you really uh, staying home and not going out and having fun and trout fishing and all of that stuff? <laughs> that exactly. The only time I leave the house is for the grocery store. That's a smart thing. So, guys, let's let's get started. One of the issues that I think we do need to talk about today is the Wisconsin primary. That's another battleground state, and it's one that both Democrat and Republicans, you know, believe they can capture. But there was this issue over whether this primary, whether people should be uh, compelled to go out to the primaries and vote. And I don't know if you guys saw the long lines and the pictures of people uh, basically lining up outside the polls. They were trying to keep six foot distances. I'm not sure they were doing such a good job of it. But I mean, did, were you able to take a look at that and to and to see that, uh, Jeffrey? I did see some of the pictures. Absolutely. I feel badly for them. I mean, I'm hoping by the time we get to Pennsylvania's primary, which has been moved to June, that we will be in better shape as a country with all of this. But when you have two competing situations, you have a hard and fast primary date and you have the virus, what do you do? And I think they kind of struggled through this here, but it begets the larger question of what are we going to do in November? I was encouraged that people still came out to vote. To me, the biggest issue was that the governor waited so long to change the primary date. For instance, here in Pennsylvania, uh, Governor Wolf uh, moved our date back so far ahead that we have time to plan. Same thing with New York. Their primary is the end of June. So to me, the biggest issue was the governor waited two, three days before the election to change the voting standards. But I was very encouraged that people still went out to vote because I'm a firm believer that if you want change, it has to happen at the ballot box. So I'm glad people aren't forgetting that. And see, I see your point, but you guys are are more in cahoots on this than I am on. I don't think it was a good idea that they went out. 
I'm sorry. I think that they were risking spreading that virus. And apparently the numbers are very high in Wisconsin with the people infected. Again, I know they thought they had to do this and it was so important. But, you know, if I go out and contract the coronavirus and I get sick, go in the ICU, that's certainly not going to help anybody, especially. If well, I you know, in its, in its own way, Joyce, what, what we're going to learn as a byproduct of this. I mean, you, you know, the, the debate is increasing over when America goes back to work, as it were. In its own way, this can be a little sort of tell as to what happens when you do it. The real issue here, Jeffrey, too, I mean, you're right. When can we go back and who can go back and all this? But one of the real issues here looks squarely at can we encourage more voting by mail as opposed to and in an extraordinary situation like this, should the Supreme Court have sided with those who were calling for mail-in votes or absentee votes extending that deadline, then making people show up in person? That's the argument. And I just don't know. I wonder how that would play out in Pennsylvania. I mean, what are your thoughts on whether we should encourage mail-in votes as opposed to showing up at the polls if we're still in this crisis? Well, the political parties in Pennsylvania already are. At least I can speak for the Democrat Party. There is an effort to push people, since we now can vote by mail, to apply for their application now. But I do want to stress the difference between the two states, where our governor here in Pennsylvania, he was thinking in the future and pushed our primary date back, anticipating a problem, versus in Wisconsin, for whatever reason, uh, the governor waited till the last minute. What I thought was interesting, too, with Wisconsin is, as we all know, in the news, they're starting to talk about the racial disparity. In Milwaukee County, for example, you know, African-Americans account for 70 percent of those who died from this virus, but they're only 26 percent of the population in, in Milwaukee. So there's some other issues in Wisconsin that I think they also need to address. Well, not only Wisconsin, we're hearing that in places like Detroit, other like, it, you know, what what's going on now? You, to be fair, you have to ask, wh- was the African-American community following the guidelines where, you know, there was this rumor going around, which I was shocked that African-Americans aren't contracting, can't contract the coronavirus. So there's a lot You're of things kidding. that play here. No, no, there was there was definitely that out at the beginning, that you don't hear of any African-Americans dying from this, do you? That had to be tapped down because this misinformation, this is one of the reasons that the communication from our leaders really needs to be clear, coherent, to the point, and making sure it's it's really spread and that people can trust what you're saying. Unfortunately, I think the mistrust uh, in the African community of anything coming out of, frankly, Washington is profound, and they're not going to adhere to it. I mean, I don't know what you guys think of that, but I think that's one of the keys to what's hap- what we're seeing here in this racial disparity. Well, I think in general, people don't trust government. I don't think that's a racial thing. But we also can't forget that in a lot of predominantly racial minority communities, there's not always an access to testing and treatments as well. We see this with other illnesses as well. Well, that, that's a good point that people are saying there was not that the testing is actually being done in also in the more metropolitan areas. But I mean, it doesn't seem like that held true for Detroit, at least in reaching the African-American community. I don't know. But clearly we've got an issue here with when these primaries come again and when things happen here, what are we going to do? Are we going to allow people to go out and risk contracting the virus? And remember, most of your voters are going to be older people, right? 
they're going to be people who should not be exposing themselves in any way to this virus. Well, the thing that concerns me always, for that matter, is voter fraud. You really have to be careful. I mean, I remember doing some research on this after the 2008 elections here in Pennsylvania, and I was able to document people voting mysteriously from vacant lots in Philadelphia. There was no one there. <laughs> yeah. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, I know, I know you're absolutely right. Voter fraud is an issue. But you know what? I think they got to figure it out. I mean, yeah, again, oh, I agree. I agree. It's just like we start talking about health care. Yeah, there are issues, but you need to figure them out. We need yeah. to make sure we come up with a system that is going to catch fraud or as much as fraud can be caught, but that still protects our voters, protects our older people, protects our veterans, especially protects people who may have disabilities or may have illness. They should not have to risk their lives to go to vote. That's I, no, no, I, no, I agree I, with I, that. But I, I have agree. to agree with Jeffrey a little bit, though, that I do think if we move to an all vote by mail system, I do not think a lot of people will trust the results on either side, to be honest. You so, know, I'm right. a little tired of you and Jeffrey agreeing against me. This is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> You're teaming up against me. Well, the world we turned remember, upside down. But we have to remember, too, this is a presidential year. So yeah. it's not just if this was an odd year, I would say you are correct. We're going to see more seniors going to vote. But this is a presidential year. So we're going to see all people, all walks of life go to vote. And there are certain communities, whether we like it or not, that just aren't going to vote by mail. Now, we also have to decide, too. Are the counties going to pay the return stamp for people to vote? If not, then that's going to be a cost. And some of your poor communities may not be able to afford that 50, 51. I think stamps went up, actually. <laughs> but whatever that price is, they're not going to take time to buy that stamp and vote. You so I what? think we need to allow both. But we have time to figure it out. And that's why I'm glad that Governor Wolf moved our primary back and time for us to figure it out. Plus, I just want to point out, too, we don't know where we're going to be in June, too. Things could be a lot better. We don't, but from all of the reports, this is not going to be over by then. Uh, The good thing is, I I don't think, I, I mean, I think we can candidly say in April that the Pennsylvania primary had to say, at least in terms of the presidential election, is going to mean much one way or another. I mean, I think we're pretty set here. President Trump will be the Republican nominee and will win the Pennsylvania primary. And I think it's very safe to say that Joe Biden will win the Democratic uh, primary, et cetera. The real importance of it is the trial run for how we operate it for November. That is really important. Well, I have to disagree a little bit there (laughs) with you, Jeffrey, because it's not just a presidential race. We have congressional races. We have state house races. We have state Senate races. So we do have some very competitive races that people still need to come out to vote in. So you are correct. You mean in the the primary? I'm sorry. Yes, in the primary. So I agree with you that the presidential race is decided, even though some people don't want to accept that. But yeah. we do have other primary races that we need people to come out and vote. Well, that's true. Well, just you know, for the for, record. For, both of us have been involved in this kind of thing. And all I'm thinking here is what a headache this is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's yes. A big headache. Hey, hey, guys, let me let me just say this. Let, I think we have to take a break now. 
for the record, Biden is supporting apparently mail-in or something where you don't have to get people to come in. I don't think the president is, but I think he is. But anyway, we got to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to actually pick up on another issue, the economic side of this and how we're helping our small businesses and our families. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Okay, we are back. Just to remind you, please subscribe. If you're not, you can get it wherever you get your Apple podcast. You can become actually a subscriber and get these each week. And if you want to send us an email uh, with some ideas, it's topics at battlegroundpa.org. And you can join us at battlegroundpa on Facebook or Twitter. Okay, guys, so we had a good discussion about whether there should be more um, concern about forcing people into the polls. I'm not sure we had any consensus on that, but let's talk now about another issue. I mean, the issue over the confusion over these SBA loans. I can tell you, I've been right in the midst of that because I work with some churches and faith organizations, and they've been trying to determine if they were eligible, if they were not eligible, and the information has been all over the map. You know, again, it looks like there's confusion at the top that they're not getting the proper guidance from the SBA, which may not be getting the proper guidance from whoever they have to get guidance for. Does anybody have any clue about what's going on here? All I would say is this is typical government. <laughs> this is this, this is why so many Americans are skeptical. You know, Ronald Reagan used to say that the most dangerous words in the English language were, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. This is probably a classic. And and the fact that we are in the middle of a crisis, and this has to be improvised, in essence, it it is a problem. There's just no question. Well, it looks like several of the leading uh, CEOs of some of these financial organizations and banks had an emergency meeting with the president telling him he needs to fix it that let's work this thing out because people are basically have no income from these small businesses. And we're looking at having, now the idea was great to have this money available, advances of up to $10,000 for small businesses, as long as they don't lay off people. I think the idea is wonderful. It's the implementing of the idea that seems to have a problem. Don't you think this may have some political repercussions down the line? I mean, especially for the president? If it's not fixed, sure. But we do have a long way to go until November. I mean, this is why, to sort of go off in a a smaller tangent, this is why these briefings every night are so important. You know, to have, as they did one night, the Secretary of the Treasury with the head of the SBA to discuss this and to ask questions and to get guidance. I mean, people have to know how this is going to work, how it is working, what is not working. I mean, this is inevitable when you do something like this. Things would be confusing and and would not work until you get it straightened out. So there's nothing really new here. I mean, my experience in government is this is exactly what happens all of the time. One of my concerns is this package was passed about two weeks ago and people still don't have their money yet. And as everyone knows, it's past April 1st, so people's rent and mortgages were due. We have the small business aspect of things. And unfortunately, Some of these small businesses, when this is over, won't even be able to open up. So there's going to be some permanent job losses to start with. But it would be nice to get things moving so that, you know, it's not just about getting the economy going. I'm also concerned about, you know, people's livelihoods. I know I bring this up every week, but people really are struggling that aren't able to work right now. Right. 
I agree. There's no disagreement on that. We're all on the same page that people are struggling. The question really is how are we, how is the government responding to that? And Jeffrey, I'm all on board with you too about we need these briefings. But let me tell you, the briefings don't really help when you get all confusing messages. That doesn't help. And unfortunately, the president is not disciplined in his communication. He says one thing, then he says another thing, and he even shut down Fauci at one time, did not allow him to answer what I thought was a a question directly related to his own expertise. Isn't the president really hurting himself? Apparently, just even the briefing yesterday was one that where he it was just incredibly confusing to average people. Clearly, if you like him, I'm not sure that that choice. I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, I I mean, the American people have given him high marks. What was the Gallup poll that showed 60 percent of the American people thought he was doing a good job? I mean, they're listening. There are new polls out that show most people do not believe that he's doing a good job, that the whole federal government is failing. But we don't I think we're up to the polls don't always reflect the reality. People are confused. I'm dealing with people every day. I'm getting the emails. I'm getting the letters. They don't understand why there is a coherent, consistent message coming from Washington. And part of the problem, or the major part of the problem, is the president's messaging himself. His heart may be of gold, but he's not communicating that. That's the problem. I don't know. uh, What are you seeing, Rajat, on your end? Oh, I definitely see mixed messages, but I see that from the top on down. Unfortunately, also, our elected officials can't seem to walk and chew gum at the same time. I've also have been a strong advocate for them focusing on the public health aspect along with the economic at the same time. And it seems like now we're starting to focus on the economic and there isn't a plan to try to fix that along with the workers and the small businesses. But I see mixed messages from the top down, even now with the estimates on the number of deaths is changing. You brought up Dr. Falsi. I I was watching him on a CNN program just the other day, not using a pun, but he stated that data always trumps models. You know, we can't just use models that are based on assumptions, because I think part of that is leading to the hysteria that we see among the public. And unfortunately, some of those statistics are recited at these press conferences. But, Rajat, the models are based on people's behavior. So if they're based on assumptions, you're assuming people's behavior. No, but should they model? I mean, I'm going to bring actually somebody on with my Facebook Live who talks about this. If people do one thing, this will happen. If more people do that, this will happen. If fewer people do that, this will happen. If people aren't staying home, I mean, one of the things we talk about here is that we still see that people aren't necessarily following the guidance of social distancing. And the state police are now warning that they're not just going to continue a warning. They're going to start arresting people or, or giving fines and that kind of thing. So I don't have a problem with the scientists and the doctors. You're making my point, though. The, the models are based on the, the assumptions of people's behavior. And again, I'm going by what I heard Dr. Falsi say on uh, CNN. And also, when you look at New York, I've been watching Governor Cuomo's uh, press conferences. I actually, I actually like his a little bit better. But even though the death rate in New York is going up, there's, he's being cautiously optimistic because less people are being hospitalized. You know, there's just a difference between facts and assumptions. And I just think we need to focus a little bit more on the facts. No, but but Rajat, the scientists make assumptions based on several factors. 
One of which is, yes, what they know about the virus, which they don't know much. This is a novel thing. The second is, will people follow guidance? If they follow guidance, it becomes a fact that 20% follow the guidance, 30%. Those will change the outcomes. That has been very clear. That's the argument. If people don't I mean, listen, the models are only as good as the assumptions. Exactly. And if the assumptions are wrong, right. you know, then, then the model is no good. I guess we're talking around each other. The scientists are, are making assumptions based on people's behavior. Do you see what I'm the, it, the, There are factors that go into this, and if those factors change, those assumptions change. We're so, saying the same wait, thing. Wait, the difference is I don't think those assumptions should be put out in the public sphere. That's the difference between us. Be? You don't think they should be or they should be? I do not think that people's assumptions, because no one has a crystal ball. We really don't know right. what's going to happen with this pandemic. So I agree that behind the scenes, there has to be models for the electeds, for the president and for the governors. But I don't think that those assumptions should be put in the public sphere. That's oh, that's the point that, that I, that's the point I'm making. I think I want to know. I, especially as a media person, want to know what are you assuming will happen and why are you assuming it? And we do that all the time with experts. Who do you think will win? That's what the polls are. But why do you think they will win? And they're, 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 they're wrong. A lot of times they're wrong. Yeah. Well, I want to know what the scientists and doctors say are the predictions for how many people will get infected by this, how many people will die, and what are they basing it on? I, I mean, like that's that. where the confusion comes in. I mean, one of, the, one of the things I think we've learned in the last few days, which just astonishes me, and I wrote a brief post on this, and I said, forget, forget the virus. Let's just say prostate cancer. And some guy has a prostate problem, but he dies of a heart attack. He didn't die because of his prostate situation. He died because of a heart attack. But if you're going to count the death and, and attribute it to prostate cancer, you are not accurately reporting the facts. And my concern here is that we've got too many people. They may have the virus and they may die, but they may have died of something that has to was totally unrelated to the virus. Well, I think well and not only that, they're not giving all the information, too. For example, in Pennsylvania, they're reporting based on their test who is getting diagnosed with the virus, they're not keeping track of the people who are recovering from the virus. I would Actually, argue that information is just as important. Yes. Yeah, this information, but I think they are keeping track of that because they're trying to get people who have plasma to be able to donate it. So they, so they are. The problem is there aren't enough tests to determine who actually had it. Because remember, a lot of people have it and have mild symptoms. And so you'd never know that they had it and that they got over it. So I think there is clearly, from what I remember, I've been bringing in doctors and, and, and research scientists. They definitely are keeping track of who's are trying to recover because they need those people to participate in clinical trials. So I read so this on the Department of Health. I got this information from the Department of Health that they're not keeping complete records on who's recovering from this. And I'm speaking only of Pennsylvania, no, not of the whole country. The researchers and the doctors want that information because it will help develop a vaccine and cure this thing. And so that we all can have the antibodies we need to be able to fight it. Because look, the problem, guys, is that even if we get over it here, the threat is that this could come around again in September, October, and we're back where we started. So that's why they're, they're rushing to do this vaccine. And they need people to, I did a whole Facebook Live thing. They need people to cooperate so that if you had it, if you to, they're going to come after you so that they can start developing that information. But 
let's get back to the social distancing. Why do you think people are, I mean, if you can see it, why do you think people are resisting and simply not obeying these rules? Or some are. I'm not saying all, but some are. And do you think this I is think a- some of it, frankly, is, is instinctive human behavior. They just go and do something. Now, there, there may well be people out there in, if you will, open rebellion about this kind of thing. But I think more or less, it's people who just don't stop to think. I mean, the most obvious and personal thing is the rule, don't touch your face. Well, how many thousands of times a day do you think most people (laughs) are violating that because they don't say it? Their nose itches and they scratch their nose. You know, they don't they don't think twice about it. So I do think that we have to we have to adapt here and we have to learn how to behave ourselves and do this correctly. But you see, then that is why you need to warn people and you need to give them stark warnings. Because otherwise, they just may not listen, right? They just go on and do what they have to do if you don't let them understand how serious this is. You Did I not see a photograph of a bunch of people at a, at a lake in Pennsylvania trout fishing? Yes. I, I, I just stared at that, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Yep. <laughs> what are they thinking? Well, if you go to PennLive, the PennLive website, you'll see the photo right there. And right. Not, that's, I guess that's where I saw it. Yeah. They're not observing the social distancing or anything like that. And I just I do still wonder, Rajat, if it's a question of generations, if it's a question the younger people are really don't see this as a direct threat to their health. And I think that's misguided. It's mistaken. But I do wonder if that part of what we're dealing with here. Well, I don't want to blame it just on younger people, because I know if I look out my window I see people of all ages taking walks and stuff. Um, I think we have to be careful on grouping large groups of of populations. No, Um, but walks walks are allowed. You can go. I go out for a walk with my dog and I stay away from other people. That's not it's. No, I agree. But I do think we have to be careful blaming uh, whole groups of population. That's all. I just want to talk about distancing. I would like to just distance myself from that. But I do agree uh, with Jeffrey. I mean, I when he said about scratching his nose, I caught myself scratching mine right now. Um, so <laughs> there are some things that you do do unconsciously. Now, as far as people, you know, gathering in large places, having large birthday parties, um, we saw people still going to the beach, things of that nature. Then that's a conscious decision. Um, but I would, well, I, I do you. give, I do give the American people a little bit more credit. I do think that the wide majority are taking this seriously and really are trying to stay home and distance themselves. And I can tell you, I mean, this is a good learning curve. I, I, to use a personal example, had never heard of Zoom until all of this. I've now done it (laughs) twice with my extended family. And I assure you, come Easter, uh, we will be all in our different uh, homes Zooming in to, you know, raise a glass and celebrate Easter. But we ain't getting together. That's for sure. But but this is a good thing. And this kind of technology, I think, is very good and can help a lot. Absolutely. And and frankly, from all of this, I do think we're going to see uh, things change. And I think, guys, yes. there could clearly be changes to election laws, political changes, uh, how we are allow people to vote. All of those things, I think, are going to be on the table because. As I say, we're, we have to really look at relating to each other a little bit differently from this. I mean, agreed? 
<laughs> yes. You know, I, I have actually gone back and looked at Pearl Harbor. Mm. And there, as a matter of fact, in Pittsburgh, I believe, there was some noted senator from, I think, North Dakota who was an isolationist. And he was giving a speech about the importance of staying out of the war and all this. And he gets delivered a note in the middle of his speech that says Pearl Harbor has been attacked. And he stands there dumbfounded and says, I can't believe it. Well, that turned the United States Congress around on a dime. They all came together. And my larger point is that after four years of war, America was a changed country. The world was changed. I think that's exactly what's going to happen here is that when this all gets roped in, we are going to be a completely different world and country. After four months of COVID-19, we indeed are a different country. So with that, I'm going to have to end it here. I want to thank Rajette, our Democratic pundit, and Jeffrey Lord, our Republican analyst, for once again joining us on BattlegroundPA.org. And we look forward to having you join us next week, as I'm sure we're going to continue to discuss the developments with the coronavirus and what it will mean for politics in 2020. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at BattlegroundPA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org. Dot org.